Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. In a sense, Bernie Sanders has already won. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Sir. On Bloomberg 991 and 105.7 FM HD2. Day after Super Tuesday, and suddenly Joe Biden seems to have momentum after shattering expectations. Plus, the latest on the coronavirus, Congress within the last hour advancing that six or that billion dollars worth of packages to address the coronavirus itself. And we are going to chat uh, on the latest on the 2020 front uh, and check in with Mike Reagan, who is Bloomberg's senior markets editor, for the latest on the markets as well. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. It was a busy day. It's been a busy 24 hours in uh, my neck of the woods. Uh, Brendan Buck's back and Doug Thornell is as well. Let's get right into it. Brendan Buck's here, partner at Seven Letter and former spokesman and advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan, Doug Thornell. His first time on Bloomberg Radio Sound On. He's the partner and head at SKDK Political and SKDK Knickerbocker. I have to say, it's the, I, I know, who doesn't know SKDK? But it doesn't roll off my tongue. I still, I still <laughs> every time I say it, I, I almost screwed it up again. Well, um, Kevin, I'm going to give you uh, a tip, early tip, that we're actually going to re- shorten the name to make wow. it easier for for you and everyone else Thank to actually you. say it because it uh, yeah it doesn't really roll off the tongue. When but, does that get announced? SKDK. Uh, now well, I'm going to remember it. Uh, maybe in the next couple weeks. All right. Well, let me know. Come back. I guess it just got got announced. Former media strategist to the DNC, of course. He's a he's a Democratic insider. Uh, happy Super Tuesday day after. Yeah, same to you. Shall we? Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to talk all about the coronavirus coming up. And again, the House passing $7.8 billion for emergency virus spending. We're going to check in with my colleague, Mike Reagan, Bloomberg Senior Markets Editor. Uh, but let's let's start with Super Tuesday. Joe Mentum, is it real, Doug? Absolutely. Um, look, I think that what happened yesterday was something that we really have have not seen in politics. Um, you could say there, the one thing that re- resembles it, it was Hillary Clinton's win in New Hampshire in 2008. But even that, that was when just one state. Or uh, did she cry? Did we ever get a verdict on whether or not there were tears? I think it's right. – I'm not sure if it's actually been <laughs> – I'm not sure if they've actually determined that or not. But it was a huge victory for, for Biden. He won 10 states. Um one Texas, one Minnesota, which was, I thought, a pretty shocking uh, win, and Massachusetts, which was a, a real blow to Elizabeth Warren. Who's still in the race. Yes, still in the race. And uh, yeah, look, I think the race has fundamentally changed. Uh, I would expect this is going to be a, a boom to uh, Biden's campaign in terms of money, uh, which will help him to build out an organization. There's some important states coming up in a week, which will be favorable to uh to uh, Joe Biden, but you 
Bernie's not dead. Bernie's got an amazing organization. <laughs> um, he's got politically uh, speaking. I just 40, always like to characterize. Sure, it exactly. Politically, he's not dead. He raised forty million dollars last month. Wow. I mean, he's got he's got big bucks. He's got the infrastructure. I also can tell you, based upon my own reporting, that his team is fired up for a contested convention. They feel like they have corrected the mistakes that they made or that they feel were unfair from the last cycle. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. Uh, he dropped out of the race this morning and and backed Joe Biden. He, of course, is also the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio, and has endorsed Joe Biden for president. Let's take a listen to this uh, from Bloomberg uh, talking about Joe Biden during a speech earlier today when he was back in New York City. Here's uh, the former mayor. I've known Joe for a very long time. I know his decency, his honesty, his commitment to the issues that are so important to our country including gun safety, health care, climate change, and good jobs. Brendan, he's out of the race. He's back in Biden. How does that factor into what that means for, for Joe Mentum? Yeah, I mean, I think Joe Mentum is real, but I, I don't know that we can necessarily you know, make any final judgments on this. I, I have to confess, last time I was here, it was in those heady days when Bernie Sanders was rolling, and I was one of those people who thought this is probably it, that it is a Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump election. And once again, we've all been sort of proven wrong. While it was a big night, obviously, for, for Joe Biden, I think you, you're right that, that Bernie Sanders is, is not going away. And really, I don't know that we can assume that Joe Biden has solved some of his biggest problems. I agree. He has... He has these endorsements. He has this momentum. But, you know, what we've seen so far as a candidate from Joe Biden has been really troubling. And I think a lot of people right now are are thinking about Joe Biden from the Obama era. But and, and that was the type of Joe Biden that was a front runner for many, many months. Um, but then what we started to see was the 2020 version of Joe Biden. And that was a lot less inspiring. And now that we had a basically a, a two person race, there's going to be a lot more attention and focus back on Joe Biden, how he answers questions, what, how he performs in debates. There's another one in less than two weeks. Uh, and so given that Bernie Sanders is prepared for a long race, I think uh, we need to be cautious, assuming that uh, Joe Biden is, is really in control at this point. Yeah, well, look, the one thing that Joe Biden has going for him is he's been completely vetted, uh, both in his Senate career as a chairman of uh, multiple committees, when he ran for president twice, when he was the pre vice president. He's been totally vetted. There's not going to be a lot of new stuff that comes out. Now, Brendan, I think, is pointing to how does he perform on the stump. I think we've seen improvements, particularly with his stump speech in the last couple days. You know, I think you can't necessarily say the same thing about Bernie and whether or not he's been totally vetted. Uh he was the front runner. There was very little thrown at him by any of the candidates, um, and I think he's still sort of the co-front runner. And I would think that the same scrutiny that you're going to apply to uh, Biden, you have to apply to him. I don't disagree at all, and I think that one of the main dynamics that have fueled Sanders' rise is a lack of vetting, both from the media, who never really took him seriously, uh, and frankly, his fellow had to get that dig in there. His, no, his, his, his fellow candidates who were completely afraid to go after him yep, in any totally meaningful agree. way. And what that does is you end up with these, you know, these clips that we see of him uh -huh. praising Castro in the revolution. I'm sure there's tons more of that kind of stuff that's going to continue to come out and it's going to continue to dog him. Um, and I, 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 I agree completely with Doug, but I do think that what we saw, what we have seen over and over again of Joe Biden faltering, 
being unable to answer questions coherently and just looking like he is not a strong commander in chief is going to continue okay. to be a problem. Okay, but did you see this viral moment of Dr. Jill Biden when she decked the, awesome. the pro? It was all, I mean, objectively <laughs> yeah. speaking. And Simone Sanders. Uh, and took, Simone yeah. Sanders. Simone, I, you know, you're right. I, I left Simone out of this. Yeah. But listen, here's where I'm biased. Dr. Biden was asked by a reporter afterwards what happened. Uh, when a when a so a protester, if you haven't seen this, a, a, a protester runs on rushes the stage for for Biden during one of the speeches, a dairy protester, and Doctor Biden, an anti dairy. <laughs> what right, is that? I I truthfully don't know, and I'm not making fun of it because I'm a reporter I. and I'll I'm find just... out. And I don't have an opinion. I do take all my milk in my coffee, but I uh, uh, and she decked her, and then afterwards the reporter asked what why she did it, and she said, "I'm from Philly." <laughs> and I was like, that is the mo-. no, she said, I'm a Philly girl. Direct quote. I'm a Philly girl. And I was like, that is the most Philly thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and she was wearing a green jacket, which I'm assuming was for the Eagles. But I don't know. Anyway, and enough of that. Uh, March 17th is the next mini Super Tuesday. Arizona, Florida, Illinois, Ohio. Uh, are the four states that are going to be voted on. So we're going to dive into that coming up, plus the latest on the coronavirus. Brendan Buck stays. Doug Thornell, your first segment down. You're just going to stay? I'm going to stay. All I right, think I I'll appreciate stay. that. And, and, unless Brendan wants me to leave. Uh, <laughs> we're not there yet. We oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've kept Give it a few Cirelli, minutes. Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Where these people are flying, it's safe to fly. And large portions of the world are very safe to fly. That was President Trump speaking earlier today at the White House, reassuring Americans that it is still safe to fly. Despite the coronavirus, the president speaking earlier today, reassuring the American traveling public that airline travel is safe from the coronavirus. Uh, and he made an appearance with Vice President Mike Pence at the White House while they were meeting with airline CEOs. The airline CEOs were all at the White House. today. I think I bumped into one of them when I was over there. Uh, and, and it was a really a big showing because a lot of folks are very concerned, to put it mildly, and It's having a health impact. It's also, of course, having an economic impact. The U.S. stocks, I'm reading from the Bloomberg Terminal right now, the U.S. stocks surged to the second 4% rally in three days after Congress authorized nearly $8 billion for virus prevention and investors warmed to Joe Biden's ascendant candidacy. Treasuries fell for just the second time in 10 days. So good news on the coronavirus front and the markets interpreting politics as they do as well. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Let's dive into it now with my colleague, Mike Reagan, Bloomberg Senior Markets Editor. All right, Mike, welcome to the program. Well, thanks, Kevin. All right, so let's start with the coronavirus. The market's reacting pretty positively today as a result of the rhetoric. As a, what do you make of it? Of, of the, the, the morning after Jay Powell, what do you, what do you, what do you hear him? Well, I think you have to start, you know, from square one and look at what happens historically when you have these big, massive, sudden corrections lower in the stock market. And I'm thinking 
uh, specifically back to 2011 when the U.S. lost its AAA credit rating uh, at S&P, and also some other periods during the financial crisis. And what happens is, you know, when you have a big, large move downward in the stock market, there are often mixed in with that some days when you you have really tremendous rallies, uh, rebounds, um, and then the next day you're right back down, and then the next day you're you're up big again. Um, and it's it's really hard to sort of suss out what the ultimate direction of the market's going to be in, say, the medium term uh, during these sort of spasms of buying and selling like this. Uh, with that said, though, I would say, though, that the, the news was sort of uh, encouraging to, to investors today. Obviously, taking the Bernie Sanders uh, risk out of the market and the potential for uh, you know a major overhaul in the health insurance industry has those uh, United Healthcare, Humana, those big health insurance stocks really posing some of the big, biggest rallies we've seen in, in a decade or more. Um, and the fact that Congress was able to move forward with this $8 billion spending emergency spending package to combat the virus is encouraging as well, uh, because obviously, you know, as you know better than me, how dysfunctional Washington has been. Oh, uh, it's very dysfunctional, Mike. It is a complete <laughs> cluster down here. Go ahead. I, 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 so I gather. So I gather. Um, so that said, so there were there were some solid reasons to see these moves, to see a little bit of buying today. But I go back to that original uh, premise in that um, it's really hard to know what the next move is. Once you introduce this type of volatility into the stock market, it, it takes a while for it to work its way out, and that and that can mean big moves up and then big moves down again. Um, and with there being so many un, uh, unknowns about this virus, you know how bad it's going to get in the U.S. What sort of steps that companies and the government are going to take to curtail it, uh, especially now that the testing is getting ramped up. That, um, And you have to remember that you know not every investor coming into the stock market on a day like this is some Buy and hold investor who's very confident that you know this is this is the the, the outcome we need that everything's cured. It's there's a lot of sort of electronic strategies based on momentum um, that could be buying one day and, and shorting the market the next day. So um, every everything I've known from watching this for years and everyone I've heard uh, that knows what they're talking about today is not very confident that this is sort of uh, a sustainable rally that will be at all-time highs again in the near future. Um, uh, everyone is kind of you know, holding their breath, waiting to see what the next uh, shoe is to drop in the coronavirus uh, problem and you know, how the market reacts to it. So, right, so Mike Reagan's on the line, Bloomberg Senior Markets Editor. We're, we're crunching the numbers on the markets uh, and the volatility and the fluctuations as it pertains to the coronavirus. The president meeting today with, with airline CEOs. Good move, bad move in terms of how the markets reacted? Well, you know, stock, airline stocks did uh, pick up a little bit today. They did not rise as much as the rest of the market. Um, they have obviously been among the hardest hit stocks in this downturn. Uh, if you look at the uh, really, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, they, they were um, the worst. So the coronavirus has impacted the airline stocks the absolute worst uh, since this has started. That's a fast fact for you. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, to yeah, you. yeah. I mean, maybe you know you might be able to find an, an isolated stock here or there that did worse. But I'm looking at the NYSE ARCA uh, airline index dropped as much as 30 percent during all of this. Um, so it did sort of catch a little bit of a bid today. It's up about uh, 
to almost 3%, but again, it's it's this sort of give and take of uh, a nasty market like this where you will find these rebounds. And it's it's very hard at the moment to really have much confidence in that to say this this is it, this is a turning point where they're, they're going to head back higher uh, in, in the medium term. Um, you know, it, it's there's just so many unknowns uh, and exactly what the government, if there is a plan uh, to help them out if they run into trouble, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see what that is. But I think that that bill making progress today in Congress sort of gave investors hope that, uh, you know, Washington can kind of start operating normally again and get get the important uh, legislation that they need passed as it becomes clear what that needs to be going forward, what sort of industries will need support, uh, will the credit markets need some some kind of support. Um, so a little bit of progress on that front today, I think, uh, on top of, as you said, the the uh, emergency rate cut from the Federal Reserve, both, both of those things, um, they're not going to cure this problem. They're not going to, you know, push stocks back to record highs in, in, the, in the near term. I, I'd be very surprised if they did. But they do... Uh, uh, you know, investors for sure uh, take note of that and and are kind of digesting those facts and thinking, well, okay, the you know the government is sort of springing to action here. All right, Mike Reagan. You can follow him on Twitter at Reaganonymous. It's <laughs> Reagan R E G A N Anonymous. Reaganonymous, uh, and is a senior editor uh, here at Bloomberg, uh, senior markets editor. So he's he's literally you've been all over this. I know the coronavirus has has made had has had you work has had you working incredibly, incredibly hard. Also a University of Delaware grad and from Bishop Shanahan High School. That's right. That's right. All right. So I, I grew up outside of Philly and Delco. So I know Bishop Shanahan. Oh, Delco. There you go. All yeah, right. You know, it's a great place. Great place. All right. <laughs> I, I want to thank. You were a <laughs> yeah, no, uh, very much. All right, I want to thank Mike for calling in and uh, keep up all the good work. Coming up, we break down the policy and the politics coming out of Super Tuesday with Brendan Buck, Doug Thornell. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. It is a beautiful day today. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Make sure you get out and enjoy it. Days like this don't often happen every day. We're monitoring Vice President Mike Pence, who is speaking at the White House. Uh, He says that he is, quote-unquote, pleased. The administration is, quote-unquote, pleased that the House of Representatives passed that $7.8 billion worth of funding, as we've been reporting on, for the coronavirus. Uh, here with me, Brendan Buck, partner at Seven Letter, former spokesman and advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan, and Doug Thurnell, partner and head of SKDK Political at SKDK Knickerbocker and former lead media strategist to the DNC. Uh, how's Hillary Rosen doing? Hillary's great. Yeah. Man, I wonder if she's listening. I wonder, Hillary, are you listening? Uh, hello, Hillary. <laughs> I think she's actually in New York right now. Uh, what was I going to ask you? Where'd you grow up? 
Silver Spring, beautiful Silver Spring. So you're Maryland. like a real local. Yeah, I'm a townie. Where'd you go? And you went to Cornell. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Sidwell Friends High School. Wow. Yeah. You, know, you, you hear about those kids, but you never <laughs> you never meet one in the flesh. A unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was it like to go to Sidwell Friends? What, did you play sports? Yeah, I played football. Played Which, football in high school and college. Did, did anyone famous ever come to the game? Uh Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton, came the what? to the last game of uh, my senior year when we went undefeated. Uh, President only, Clinton yeah. shows up to a high school football and game. And it was raining, too. He and came he out stayed. in a downpour. He stayed for the whole game. Did he you watched. feel a, a added pressure? I can't imagine if the president came to—any to, to a, a, any president would come and you're in just, high school. Just one? Just one oh. president? Just one game. Wow. He, yeah. He's not a real fan. <laughs> right. Well, that's a good <laughs> point. On. Oh, we should bring this oh up. Oh my god! Why'd you only come to one game, Bill? Oh my! Wait, what was that like for real? I mean, take us on the field. Uh, it was crazy. I mean, you know, you look over and the you know the president of the United States is up in the stands and wow. obviously comes with a lot of security. But um, you know, we were <laughs> obvious at the time that was our last game of the year. It was the last game of my high school career, and we were going undefeated. So there were other things to worry about other than you know who was up in the stands at the time. That even if it's the president of the United States, even wow. if it, you got to keep focused. I can't imagine. I can't imagine being a high school kid and then having looking up in the in the bleachers and seeing the president of the United States. All right, Super Tuesday. So Bloomberg's out. Warren's sticking around. President Trump had this to say about it. Here's the president of the United States talking about Senator Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren was the single biggest factor in that election last night. Uh, it would have been a very different thing, and not in a positive way for her, in a very selfish way for her. She was very selfish. She's staying <laughs> in, Doug. Yeah, I, I think... Um I think President Trump should be focusing on uh, his job and not being a pundit. All right. I mean, I hear you on that. Elizabeth I, I, Warren, why is she staying yeah. in? That's a good question. You should ask her. No. I mean, I think that she has. <laughs> look, she Look, I, I have a lot of respect for the campaign she put together over the course of this year. Um, it she's got She had one of the strongest infrastructures of a campaign. I thought she had a very sharp message. And uh, she had, you know, look, I think that it was always going to be an uphill climb when she was going up against Bernie Sanders. He had some built in, he had, you know, built in support, 20, 20, 25 percent of the electorate. There was a moment in time where there was some slippage and she gained some ground. But she was never able to um, gain the true, you know, the sort of strong support of the liberal wing of the party. Um, but look, have her st- stay on as long as she can, I guess. I guess she's being reported as trying to decide who she would. Uh, want to endorse when she drops out, and I find that to be one of the most fascinating questions. I think what the president was trying to suggest is that anybody who supports Elizabeth Warren would then become a Bernie Sanders voter. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think uh, I think Elizabeth Warren voters that higher educated. Uh, I don't know they're naturally going to just slide over to Bernie Sanders. But what's been clear is that she has been very hesitant to go after Sanders this entire time. You know, when when Michael Bloomberg was on the debate stage, she was going after him. Uh, very hard. Uh, while everybody, all the momentum seems to be going towards Joe Biden, and it seems like the natural place for everybody to go, for endorsements to go, she seems like she could potentially, even though maybe her her supporters won't go with her, she could be going to be uh, uh, spoiler the, the spoiler uh, the savior maybe for Bernie Sanders. Doug, 
See, well, the reason I, I'm fascinated by your perspective on this, Doug, is because you actually are in the room for these types of conversations. Yep. And you're, especially as we head into a contested convention. I feel like Christine Barada, our executive producer, we need some type of music for contested convention. <laughs> it just has all the makings of a cable news bonanza. Right. A kazoo. Contested. So, yeah, exactly. I, I think Elizabeth Warren sees, her some, sees herself as somewhere in between, or at least she's trying to position herself as somewhat, somewhat, somewhere in between Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. And I think it's her. Hope. But it's over, right? She can't win. Well, I, I think her, her her response to that would be, let's just keep the contest going and see where we are but in take Milwaukee. This, and I get it. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot. So we can take, we, I mean, kind of them. Kind of, you know, it's kind yeah. of part of the job. But so, but take us behind the scenes. If, if, if her smart team of advisors is saying to her, all right, stay in the race because it increases your leverage to play a role in a contested convention with your delegates. What is her what is her calculation? What is her strategy? Does she want to back Sanders because that's where she ideologically lies or is she thinking, okay, it looks like Biden's now going to get this thing. If I support Biden, then I can pull him to the left. Uh, look, I'm not convinced that she would support Bernie Sanders. She endorsed, I believe, in 2016 Hillary Clinton. Yep. So I'm not Great convinced point. that she would. Uh, you know, I think part of it is maybe influencing to the extent that the platform of a party can be influenced, uh, you know, influencing the platform of the party to include certain things that she cares about, particularly things related to housing, the wealth tax, Medicare for all, et cetera. Uh, and being, you know, if it comes to if if both Bernie and Joe enter the convention and they're within 20, 30 delegates, maybe she wants to be, you know, a person who comes in with a certain amount of delegates that can be, um, you know, uh, sort of a broker. All right. Let's take a listen to Senator Bernie Sanders, because he was asked about uh, how he said he's going to expand the party earlier today at and uh, a press conference that he gave. And, and, and it really is interesting because his whole narrative and push, I hate that word narrative, but his whole campaign has been pushing this notion that he would be able to expand the party, attract younger voters. Take a listen to what he said because the data just isn't there on that. Here's Senator Bernie Sanders. Young people do not vote in the kind of numbers that older people vote in. I think that will change in the general election. But I am on be honest with you, we have not done as well in bringing young people in the political process. It is not easy. Brendan, if, if Senator Sanders hopes to become the, the nominee, he's got to prove that he can unify the party and break past this ceiling. Uh, in a week from Tuesday, March 17th, Arizona's going to vote, Florida's going to vote, Illinois and Ohio are going to vote. It's, Florida and Ohio, I mean, doesn't get – I mean, you could argue Ohio's now red, but still a battleground state and and, and Florida as well. Uh that if he can pull off an upset in one of those states, he'd be sending a message that he can win moderate voters. Yeah, I mean, to sort of quote James Carville, it's the, the suburbs, stupid. The, the, <laughs> this entire election is going to come down, I think, to the suburbs. Uh, Donald Trump and the, the type of politics that he participates in, are, it just repulses uh, higher educated suburban, particularly women voters. We know that. It's what got... What, led to us losing the house in 2018. And Biden won them last night. And Biden had them come out in big numbers for him. Northern so, Virginia. And, and as you go into some of these states that are coming up, 
Ohio, Arizona, Florida. These are states with a lot of suburban voters. And so that is going to be a big challenge for Bernie Sanders. I think if Bernie Sanders has a, a strategy to take on, I think it is he's got he's got to take on the idea that he is actually best positioned to stand on stage with Donald Trump and defeat him and say that he is the one that is tough enough to take him on. The the, the perception out there is that, or the narrative as you put it, is that Joe Biden is the is the moderate candidate who is therefore best positioned to to win those suburban voters, and I think that's actually true. So I think what Bernie Sanders needs to do is say, I'm actually the fighter. I'm the one who can stand there and draw the sharpest contrast, right? And I'm the one who can uh, who can who can embolden the, the the base of the party while allowing people in the suburbs to have that sort of exit from from Donald Trump. Quickly, Doug. Yeah, you know, I, I when people bring up. Who's going to stand on the stage with Donald Trump in the debate? People forget that Hillary Clinton mopped the floor with De- Donald Trump during the debates, and it didn't really particularly matter. Uh, and uh, so I think at the end of the day, what Bernie Sanders has to figure out is how does he expand his base to bring in, you know, suburban women, African Americans, older voters, moderates, because that's a winning, winning coalition. That's how Obama won the presidency. All right, coming up, what's on the panel's radar? Plus, we dip into foreign policy. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Brendan Buck, Doug Thornell, you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. It's Dolly Parton. It's called 9 to 5. And it's the theme song for Senator Elizabeth Warren. That's her campaign theme song. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. This isn't really a 9 to 5 town. I think it's around the clock, 24-hour, not even news cycle, just 24 hours, seven days a week, town. Brendan Buck's here, partner at Seven Letter, former spokesman and advisor to House Speaker Paul Ryan. Doug Thornell is here as well. Doug, you having fun? It's your first time on the show. Love it here. Partner and head of SKDK Political at SKDK Knickerbocker and former lead media strategist to the DNC, Doug. I also worked with uh, Brendan in the house, too. Not on the same team. Oh, not on the same team. In close proximity, though. Very close to you. Do you guys know each other? Yeah. <laughs> a quick story. So in, 2000, time. in, 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 in <laughs> 2010, I was working for John Boehner. We were working on a project to put out our House Republican agenda to take back the House. We were in the minority. He was the minority leader at the time. Um, it was nice to work for John Boehner. He was the leader, except I didn't actually have a cool, fancy office in the Capitol. I was in sort of a hallway on the seventh floor of the Longworth building, oh. um, basically across from the bathroom, uh, who <laughs> shared the hallway with us, me and another guy in a tiny windowless office, was Doug Thornell. Doug Thornell. Who was working for Chris Van Hollen at the time. His job, I believe, even though it was an official job, was to help <laughs> ensure that Democrats don't lose the House. And so we were on two opposite ends of the hall, basically strategizing against each other for about six months. Did you guys Shared talk? A wall. Did you talk? Uh, or did you spy on each other? <laughs> yeah, we spied. And as the history books will show, we won. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'll give them that one. And you're not an Eagles fan, Brendan. <laughs> but Thank that was God. some, uh, uh, what are you? Redskins. Uh, how's that working out? Not well. Yeah. Not well at all. Right. Uh, wow, that's a great story. But I think it also shows that people are in close proximity oftentimes, even when they're working 
on different sides of the aisle. All right, it's time now. Oh, wait, what I wanted to ask as we played uh, the 9 to 5 music, does yes or no, or no, does Warren stay in by the end of the week, Doug? Is she out by the end of the week or, or, or no? I think she... I think she stays on until next Tuesday's right. elections. Do you agree, Brennan? I don't know why she would stay in. I I asked that question to I don't myself under, as well. I don't, I don't get it either. I don't, I don't get I it. I can't imagine, have to imagine her staff, people out there in the field, know that she's going to be out at any moment. It's hard to really, you know, create the energy to, to keep going forward. And it, I, I, I don't know. We'll it find depends out. If, I don't know if she's going to feel a lot of pressure from anyone to jump out. Yeah, true. I mean, the Biden forces aren't going to push her and... Maybe, maybe Sanders does, but I just don't know where the pressure is going to come. Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting. All right, it's time now for my favorite part of the show, which is what's the quick take on your radar? Doug, it's where we ask our esteemed panelists, tell us something we don't know. Brendan, I'm going to start with you. What is the quick take on your radar? I don't know if it's something you don't know, but I'm fascinated by the politics of the, the coronavirus situation. Same. The, the House passed an enormous package uh, today. Uh, Senate should do so quickly. Then what happens? Um, this is this issue isn't necessarily going away. It's definitely not going away. And how do the politics play out? What do members of Congress do to continue to demonstrate that they're taking it seriously now that this is sort of out of their hands? I think the Trump administration has been relatively good in the last few days at, at, at projecting that they are on top of this. Um, but it's one of those things that can get away from you really fast and ultimately could not only have a huge human toll, a toll on the economy, but certainly play uh, an important role in who gets who is the next president of the United States. That's fascinating. I, I also think that that how Washington reacts to this is literally setting the stage for decades from now when there's, uh, unfortunately, other pandemics and other health virus scares. And so... Historically speaking, very few countries have ever gotten it right. And we're having a big debate right now about our healthcare system, right? right? And at this, when this is front and center, how we are able to handle it, I think, is a big question. And what happens? I don't, I don't like doing the hypothesis, like the, you know, the the what ifs games with with health and wellness. Uh, but again, I mean, when you look at historically when diseases and illnesses uh, start. Uh, around the world, really no country, and America included in that, ha- we've stumbled. When We have a history of stumbling, and not just America. We, I think we get it better than any other country in the world, but we still stumble, and, and with science and everything. And, and the rate of people traveling around the world in like a half a day now, it's, it's really remarkable. All right, that's a good one. Uh, Doug Thornell, what's the quick take on your radar? My quick take is on the labor dispute that's taking place between the NFL – PA and the NFL owners. I love this. It is a... Oh, Doug, you fit right in here. So as you know, Kevin, the NFL PA voted, their executive board voted on a collective bargaining agreement, which would add one game to the season and increase revenue. But there's a lot of anger within the actual player, all the players who don't support it, people like Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and others. So it's going to be interesting now that now this goes to a vote of the players, all the players and all the teams. And it'll be interesting to see if it gets ratified. Where do they vote? Do uh, I, I assume I, I don't know that. Is that. it like an NFL Congress? Congress. <laughs> Who's speaker? Yeah, the NFL. Who's speaker of the House? I bet you know it's Tom Brady. Yeah, well, t- I think Tom Brady, I'm not sure what his position is, but it's a fascinating dispute that's going on right now. It's, you know, obviously billions and billions of dollars we're talking about. Uh, and it looks like there's some strife in between within the Players Association as well, which is um, probably unfortunate in this fight against the owners. 
could lead to, I guess, either a strike or a lockout, I guess, if they can't figure this out. So where does Roger Goodell come in on all this? Well, he runs, you know, he, he represents the owners. Yeah. So he is, I assume, uh, negotiating with Demora Smith, who is the NFLPA executive director. That's awesome. That's a great one. Uh, just because it's it's so, the, the business of sports always intrigues me. And again, a plug for the Bloomberg Business of Sports radio show. You can download it cross-platform uh, on Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Uh, and their cross-platform, the business of sports on Bloomberg, is one of my favorite programming notes that we have here. All right, here's what's on my radar. Uh, it's Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who has really been uh, at the forefront of the Afghan peace deal uh, and with the Taliban. And, uh, I, you know, I mean, it's something that really could prove to be uh, another another big development as it relates to U.S. foreign policy. Uh, and and whether you agree with it or disagree with it, uh, the fact that there was this peace deal that has been uh, announced uh, you know, it, it, it's something that I think is not something that Democrats have really talked about during the 2020 race, especially their foreign policy. Would you agree with that, Brendan? Have we heard much foreign policy from Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden? We've heard, <coughs> heard a lot about Iraq. Yeah, you know, that's been one of the go-to attack lines for Bernie Sanders is is that Joe Biden doesn't have the the wisdom to see past whatever. Uh, but it's not nuanced beyond the vote, the Iraq war vote. I mean, it's not. Well, nuanced. nothing that Bernie Sanders says is nuanced, right? And that's <laughs> one of the big things that he projects himself as this policy guy, but it's all these vague tropes about whatever, uh, you know. And and he he doesn't really ever get below in, into the surface level. His his, his philosophy, his uh, doctrine is is very isolationist, and he uses that to to. Great advantage in this moment, sort of in the same way that Donald Trump does. Uh, I don't know that it, this is going to be an election that's turned on that, so I don't know how much juice he's going to actually get out of attacking Joe Biden on it. Interesting. All right, final thoughts. We've got a minute left. As we head into, as we as we dissect Super Tuesday, any lessons that you think the Democratic Party should learn, Doug Thornell, coming out of Super Tuesday? Not the campaigns, but the Democratic Party as a whole, as, you're, as you've been crunching the numbers today. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that, that what that means is in 2018, the Democrats put together a pretty effective campaign, a strong message focused on health care. Uh, they won a whole bunch of seats. They took back the House. It looks like Joe Biden is replicating that in the sense that he, you know, he has a, you know, he's, he's campaigning as a centrist Democrat. He's a pro- centrist progressive Democrat uh, and talking about health care, uh, building on Obamacare and, and, you know, he's winning over suburban voters that Dems won in, uh, in 2018. That's how they're going to win back that ho- win back the White House along with massive African American turnout. Quickly in like 15 seconds, Brendan. Bad day for President Trump with Biden getting Joe Menem. Maybe I don't. I never bought the idea that Bernie Sanders couldn't beat him, though. I mean, I, I, do, I do think that Bernie Sanders would have been uh, a really serious, or still could be a, a very serious opponent. Um, I, I just, we need to stop pretending like we know exactly how these things are going to turn out. <laughs> Agreed. We'll leave it there. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.